Glasgow Women's Library, Mixing the Colours, Women Speaking About Sectarianism, womenslibrary.org.uk. Just Give Me the Girls by Yvonne Diel. Infrequently and always unannounced, the priests would come to the house to see my mum and we girls would hide in the cold lobby. The lobby was the place in the house with the holy water and the pictures of the Sacred Heart of Mary hanging on the wall, and we would peek through the living room door, giggling and shoving each other about. This one was new. He sat in Dad's chair with his back to us, a strange, scary presence. A man dressed in a black suit, apparently welcoming in our house, even though he made my thin, plain mother excited and nervous. We watched as she scuttled from the living room to the kitchen, trying to find a cup that was both not cracked and clean enough for his tea. She apologised for the state of the house, the small amount of milk available, and a few biscuits. We watched the plate of biscuits. He ignored her protestations and said firmly, Eileen, it isn't the tea I came for. Have you spoken to your husband again about the girls? She avoided his question, and looking at us, hanging halfway out of the door, continued apologising for her girls and their silly, giggling presence, sorry that they wouldn't be sensible and couldn't speak to father or even come into the house and behave. No, no, father, she said eventually. I haven't, not yet. He's been on night shift. But Eileen, if it is to happen, it would soon be time, you know. First Holy Communion for the bigger ones. He turned round in his chair to face the giggling mob and pointing at my big sister, asked if she was the one called Kathleen. His voice warmed. Kathleen, ah, a grand name, he said to no one in particular. We heard that his mother was a Kathleen and she was from Galway and was a wonderful woman. He turned back to face my mother asking what the rest of us were called. Ashamed now of our behaviour, my usually placid mother called sharply, Come now and say hello to Father. He has come all the way from Castle Douglas to see you. Behave yourselves now. Not the oldest, but often the boldest. I left the sanctuary of the lobby first and led the others into the living room. We sat in the chair opposite Father, all four of us huddled together for protection. He looked at me with his very blue, penetrating eyes. His face was round and red and blotchy, and was what my mother would describe later as a face that was fond of the bottle. Viewed from the front, there seemed to be less black, but he was no less scary. Now, what do they call you? he asked. Yvette, I whispered. Yvette? In God's name, what kind of name is that, Eileen? he asked, looking at my mother. As she started to apologise again, the feeling I could call upon when my mother needed protection pushed me to say primly, but it was French, and I was called after a ballet dancer. Oh, indeed, he snorted. And can you dance? Crushed, I whispered. No, I never tried yet. He was not impressed by the little Scots girl with her tenuous aspirations to a French connection and moved on to the other sisters with more hope. Yes, that one was Jean, named for my husband's mother, said my mother as a way of explanation. Little one was Maureen. I was called after her youngest sister in Ireland. My mother smiled as if she had done something right for the first time. She left the room to make the tea. So you've not spoken to your husband, he said again. We watched him resettle his large frame into the uncomfortable chair and he stared at us through bushy eyebrows. Faced with him square on, we were now too scared to giggle. From the safety of the kitchen, my mother replied, oh, It's not easy, father. He's set in his ways. He doesn't want the girls to be Catholics. He doesn't go to church himself, but he wants the girls to be the same as him. It's his family, you know. His brothers are... Um... She struggled to find the right word. 
They're all Freemasons. Now, I know it isn't easy, but they are your children and there are obligations on you as a Catholic mother. The church expects you to bring them up in the faith, you know. He continues to stare at us bunched together with no separate identity. I never seen him at church with you, he added, giving us a look that suggested that if, if he had the choice, he would prefer not to see, have any of us in his church. We watched Mother carry the teapot back to the table. No, Father, it's a distance and only the one bus a day there and back. She paused and added as if it was a reasonable explanation. They go to Sunday school every week. The Reverend Weir is very nice to them. He doesn't make a difference with them. Kathleen sings in the choir, don't you, Kathleen? My mother had procured a suitable cup and milk and tea and even a saucer. She looked at the door before she handed the hot drink to Father. We followed her glance and we looked at the door as well. We often looked at the door, often listened for the sound of the boots on the gravel. We knew what that sound meant. Jane, who was the giggler, picked up the fear and giggled. This time there was no collusion and she was elbowed in the stomach to shut her up. We knew what unwanted sounds from us meant in that room where silence from little girls was the order. But there was no sound from outside, just the stirring of our brother asleep in the pram and we resumed watching father. He was offered biscuits and we watched as he took two custard creams. One he laid on the edge of his saucer and the other he moved towards his mouth. We watched him moving the biscuit. We endured the sweet sound of crunching, our eyes following his every move. We looked at the one biscuit left and prayed that my mother would not offer him that one too. He won't agree, Father. I don't think he will agree. Father Brennan, before you, he didn't mind. Said the girls would come to it later if I showed him the way. Robbie liked him. He liked flowers. They would talk about the garden. My mother was speaking very fast now. Ah, Father Brennan, God rest his soul. A saintly man, but not one to change the world, I'm afraid, he interrupted. Now, Eileen, you've got the four girls and the wee lad, and another one in the way, if I'm not mistaken. We watched my mother as her pale, thin face reddened, and we recognised her discomfort and saw the tears come into her eyes. She moved her gaze to her son asleep in the pram, to the shabby room and to the scared girls. And although we couldn't recognise it until much, much later, we were seeing the things that trapped her in this foreign country where she was at once deeply embedded through love and hate and obligation, and yet was not part of. She was strangely foreign even to us who had known and loved her all our lives. And although it seemed unlikely, she was probably less foreign to him than to us. When they spoke, their voices had the same Milton sound, the same words. They shared a language and rituals and secrets that we knew nothing of. Yet he frightened her, and there was little of the connection for a fellow countryman, she must have longed for. It was impossible for our young minds to fully understand and make sense of her plight. But even then we knew she was different. Her ways not the ways of other mothers. Her voice and the words she taught us to use, not like the ones our friends used. We loved the novelty of holy water and pictures of saints and the Virgin Mary fishing Fridays and going to Mass in Ireland. But we also knew that Uncle John, the policeman, only came into the house when, when Dad was there. If Dad was working, he returned to the car, unable to visit his brother's Catholic whore of a wife. That was what Auntie Meg, Dad's sister, called her. Uncle John's stooty wife never even left the car. Frightened, my mother would say, that she would pick up a germ from breathing the same air as a Catholic. Father was speaking again. Under the absorbed gaze of the four hungry little girls, he sipped tea and wiped custard cream crumbs from his thin lips. We're not asking for much. If the church could just have the girls, that would do. Take them into the family of God. Give them a chance. The boy will find his way to the Holy Catholic Church, please God, in his own time. Half of the second biscuit had now disappeared and he spoke again. 
He was asking about something called catechism and whether mother taught us and did we know our prayers. We watched the panic cross my mother's face. She looked at us expectantly, no doubt longing for one of us to be clever enough to know something about a word we'd never heard before. She started to excuse us for our ignorance when he pounced on Kathleen, demanding to hear the Lord's Prayer. We all stared at Kathleen, three of us turning around to where she sat pressed into the back of the chair, trying to hide behind us. We waited for an answer. She started to cry. We looked at our mother for help. Hush, girl, father isn't going to harm you. She's shy, father, she said helplessly. Stirred on again by that strange urge that arrived when mother needed me. I piped up that I knew it, and before I could be stopped, I rattled off. Our father, which I have in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and I can't remember the rest. Followed by a brazen laugh, the rest joined in the hysteria as mother looked crestfallen. Would you take more tea, father, she asked hesitantly. No, I must be off, but before I go, I might say a few prayers. He stared at us with the blue eyes and then added with a slight sigh, these girls look like they need it. He stood up and handed her the empty cup with half of a custard cream lying on the edge of the saucer and positioned himself with his back to the empty fireplace and closed his eyes. He made the sign of the cross. My mother signalled us to do the same. We stood up and did a self-conscious sign of the cross and he started slowly reciting the Lord's Prayer, followed by a Hail Mary. Jean started to laugh. The mouth was quiet and muffled to begin with, but soon the strain became too much and she broke into a strangulated mixture of tears and laughter. Mother sighed and said she would get the holy water and went to the lobby to bring the little silver crucifix with the well at the bottom. He took a sprinkling of the precious liquid and dropped it in her direction, reciting another prayer, blessing the house and its occupants. The laughter became more subdued as we became mesmerised by the process of being part of a strange and mysterious ritual. The early warning signs outside were missed. The gravel crunched and with no time to prepare, the door opened and my father came in. Aha, what's going on here then, he said in the voice and with the staring look that we all knew meant trouble. My father was a big man, tall and muscular. He was handsome with strong features and pale blue eyes. It was clear that he wasn't in the mood for visitors of any kind, least of all this unwelcome priest in his shabby black suit praying over his daughters. He looked at us standing with our hands clasped in prayer. The sniggering stopped mid-air to be replaced by a new kind of fear. We stood with our mouths open, but no laughter came. Robbie, my mother, stuttered her quiet voice, sounded even more Irish than usual. This is a new priest from Castoclus, Father Fitzpatrick. We looked from Father to Dad, not sure what was going to happen next. We saw Father Fitzpatrick stop in the middle of his blessing, his hands suspended with no place to go. We saw his surprise and noted how he was now the one who was the stranger, out of his depth and a bit scared. He stooped and picked up his black hat from the corner of the shabby chair, and fixing it quickly over his wispy grey hair, muttered to Dad in his strange Irish brogue without really looking at him. How do you do, uh, um, Mr. R- R- Robbie? I'm just leaving, just saying a few prayers, no harm done. Well, I'll be off. Goodbye, Eileen. Goodbye, girls. Behave yourselves. God bless. We all watched him move to the door, turn the handle and leave. We never saw him again. <laughs>